Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Family Photographs, establishing parental dominance since 1841. Now, let's dim the lights and say cheese. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Cosa Nostra Pizza. Your pizza delivered within 30 minutes or else. Cosa Nostra Pizza. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is our podcast where we like to discuss films and break them apart. See why they work the way they do. What can we learn about writing, storytelling, filmmaking? And of course, we're coming at this from the perspective of filmmakers ourselves. I'm a full-time writer-director and all-hand one-man band. Um, Todd's a full-time producer and soon-to-be full-time musician. I see that in your future. Uh, <laughs> and man, I so I, I never listen to a lot of audiobooks. I listen to a ton of podcasts. <coughs> Swallowed a bug. Um, sorry, that's a Goodwill Hunting reference. I but I listened to I think my first full audiobook this past week, and I was listening to uh, I don't even remember the title of it, but it's like the Netflix book about their company culture uh it's written by reed hastings and god i keep forgetting her name aaron meyer because it's a really good book and she deserves to have her name said out loud and i'm just floored uh by by what they're doing over there i feel like it's everything that you and i would appreciate um they have like so many differences between what you experience in normal company culture um there's a lot of freedom and i guess it depends on and they make a big point of this at the end of the book of what your goal is right if you're running a nuclear reactor you probably don't want a culture of free thinking individuals you want people who follow processes and and are very adherent to that in order to minimize failure and catastrophe but if you're if your focus isn't preventing failure and catastrophe and your focus is innovation and forward thinking and trying to come up with the next big thing um then you need a lot of people who are able to to flex those muscles um and so their their cor corporate culture is all about creating the, an environment where you trust your employees to make decisions with minimal oversight and they go through step by step how they built that culture where it came from they talk about high density talent so you let go of people who are adequate in favor of people who are excellent and forward thinking who take risks they want people who gamble and are willing to take a big bet and if they fail that they'll learn something from it failure is okay it's learned from it's not punished because obviously if you punish failure then all you're going to do is discourage um, innovation and so and a thousand other ways uh, that, that they go about this um, and so i'm just you know floored and it certainly explains why they have such a wide array of content stuff that's like awful right they release a lot of stuff and and that's subjective too i guess it's awful to me because i don't watch whatever reality shows and uh, kids programming or whatever and, and and it also speaks to how willing they are to just take risks someone believes in someone else like oh hey i i like this filmmaker i want to take a risk and so i guess i'm saying all this because i was also watching a, a there was a, a show that popped up uh on, on my radar a week or two ago and it's called archive 81 and it hit all the right buttons visually i was like oh it's sci-fi and it's kind of creepy um, looks like there's a lot of tension. Yeah, I'll add it to my list. And then I went back to watching all the other shows that I wanted to watch on other streaming services, HBO mostly. And and then after we watched Don't Look Up, I was like, oh, Archive Vita 1 is still in my, my playlist. So I hit play, started watching it and was just in it. And the, the reason why I added it to my, my list at all, uh, really beyond just kind of the visual elements was the lead actor I really like, and I've been wanting to see more from him. Um, it's the, the black guy in that movie uh, underwater. Um, and I'm going to oh, butcher yeah. his name. And this is why you say all the, the cast uh, every episode is um, for the reason I, I can't pronounce his name is Malmood uh, Athi. I think um, I'm sure there's a better way to pronounce that. Uh, but I saw him in and I was like, Oh, I'd, I'd love to see, you know what he's got in the tank. Um, and he is just so watchable. He's such a good actor. And it, but it wasn't until the third episode that I discovered that it was created by uh, two of my favorite filmmakers, actually, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, 
who I've talked about spring once or twice on the show and maybe even synchronic and uh, the endless. So I just really love kind of the vision and the way these guys are always thinking. And so getting pulled into that show was really fun. I was like, Oh man, it must be really nice to, to collaborate as a creative artist uh, with someone that like Netflix who values autonomy and independence and free thinking and, um, and even pushback, like their culture has a big culture of uh, candor. So if Reed Hastings, um, whatever the CEO or president, whatever his position is, or Ted Sarandos, you know, the founder, if, if one of these guys is in the middle of a meeting saying something and someone is doesn't agree with it, they'll speak up and they'll say in the middle of the meeting, Hey, um, Reed, you're, you're botching this report. You keep quoting this report. But those aren't the numbers. You're, you're talking about this other thing, man. Uh, he's like, no, I'm pretty, no, Reed, you're getting it wrong, man. Uh, and it's like a nobody. It's not like his, you know, direct report or anything. It's someone who has nothing re in relation. And he's just free to say, Hey, you're, you're, you're messing this up. And so I can, that trickles down if you let it, you know, and it's however, you know, you're the boss, the big man is able to take direction himself to be able to follow when he needs to, uh, to be able to take correction and uh, to have healthy disagreement. That's an incredible thing. And it starts up there. And I've tried to, I've only had two interns, but I've, I've tried to encourage them to call me out in the middle of a shoot. If they see something like, uh, and not necessarily, and it gets back into healthy disagreement, the ability to say what you're thinking without being a jerk, right? That's not going to create a good atmosphere of uh, collaboration. Um, and so don't say things like that's a dumb idea. That's stupid. Instead, suggest your own ideas. I'm really big on that. Personally, I hate being around people who shout down others ideas. Uh, you're not going to collaborate with me for very long. And I'm just not that kind of uh, stupid. This whole idea of it, the alpha male, it doesn't exist. That's a bullshit paradigm. But I encourage my interns to say, Hey, if you're seeing something that I'm missing, say it. And so there's been a number of times, my last intern, Cassie, we've been on set and she'll stop me right before we start rolling. Like, Hey, Wes, I, I, what about that over there? I'm like, crap. Thank you. Do, 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 do. And that's easy to do when it's just me and her on set. But when you get to these bigger sets, we had a shoot in November, 30 people on set. And I talked my uh, producer into hiring her to, be like a, a utility. We, when you shoot VR and 360, you don't have the same traditional roles. Like you don't have uh, a first AC who's going to be there to pull focus. There's nothing to pull um, when you're on set of a VR VR shoot. These are uh, open lenses. Like there's the, there is no focus. Uh, it's it's full depth of field. And so you you have a lot of utility players that slate or um, manage the extras. And so. Uh, for her to be on that set and still as, you know, uh, 21, 22 year old uh, film student to step up in front of this billion dollar client and say, hey, Wes, this thing is happening over here that needs your attention or that I think needs to be fixed. That's such a hard thing to do. And I, I have so much respect for people who can speak up to their superiors um, and not that that's that situation, but it's hard to tell your boss you're screwing up. Here's how you can do it better. I don't know. I just have a lot of respect for Netflix after reading that book and I'll put it in the show notes. So if you haven't read it or, or like me heard it, uh, you can, you know, take a peek and see what I'm talking about, but it's pretty profound. And I, I, it made me want to work with Netflix so much more. And I already do. Like, I know we've cracked jokes at their expense here and there, uh, but I have such a profound respect for what they do, um, especially after reading that book. And I don't know, do you feel like your work environments kind of encourage that sort of, uh, dissent. I mean, yeah. So my, my work is a little bit unique, um, where I work, but yes, in a way, in a way for sure. But I think that people, people typically stay in their lane. They're like, this is what I know and understand. So this is what I feel comfortable talking, you know, mentioning or talking about with the exception of, of, you know, people in the video space within my company, all of them feel like they can make suggestions that they can say this doesn't work or or whatever. And it's happened. Um, and I've had writers at the end of edits, see something that we didn't see and they'll, they call it out, you know, and, and that's great. But I've never been in a room, at least in my, in my, uh, where I work, I've never been in a room where anybody, people didn't feel like they could say, speak up or say something right. Usually though, when it's in a creative space and we're trying to come up with an idea for a commercial or something or a pitch, 
it will be it will be okay if you're going to say you don't like something you better have something better right don't just speak up then that's the thing it's like it, unless you're creative enough to come up with with a replacement don't say this thing is shitty right i want to hear something better not just you don't like it so and that's the thing it's like not everybody is creative enough to give a replacement for something they're just they're just saying some you know that's a what i'm saying is that's the danger of just you know allowing people to just say i don't like something well okay well what would you like you know in its place what's better than that you know it's easy to tear something down it's harder to build something back up so that's awesome that netflix has that and because i think that because people are working at a company like that where they're constantly making content all the time everybody has to has to kind of be on their a game when it comes to creativity when it comes to what they know they like and what they know they don't like and that's really cool when you have a big group of people who knows that and is not afraid they're not afraid to that they're going to lose their job because 90% of the time you know if you're on a set you've been on these big sets obviously you know that if there's a light that needs to be moved you're not going to touch that light it is not your job and if you do it you're you're effectively saying that the gaffer doesn't need to be doing it you know what i'm saying yeah. you stay in your in your lane <laughs> yeah. um and so to have a culture where you're not a, you can actually do that where you can actually say i don't like this idea because of blah 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 is pretty awesome because it negates all of that concern it allows you to like you said to be free and open up and say what you really think offer a better solution. Um, but you have to have those types of people, those top tier people that can do that, not just shoot something down, but give a better solution. That's so, so yeah, on point, man. I've had that, but not to this extent. This extent is, you know, <laughs> millions of dollars and probably hundreds of people's jobs on the line, you know, of like, is this going to get made or not? You know, to be, to be honest. So much, uh, much higher stakes, but how cool would that be? If, if you went into a job, if you got a job and your boss came to you and said, listen, unless you, unless you like break the law, you know, I'm not going to fire you. You will not be fired unless you you go to jail or, or like, you know, or like convicted of something. Right. How free do you feel uh -huh. to speak your mind? You know, because 90% of the time people aren't going to say, I don't like something you're not going to tell your boss you don't like something because you're afraid that he's going to be pissed at you and that you're going to eventually lose your job if you do it enough. Maybe not that time, but maybe the 10th time, right? But if I'm bringing you on and I'm hiring you, it's because I know what I'm going to get from you. And what I'm going to get from you is honesty, clarity, and a vi and a, your own vision. Be able to, to convey your own vision. If I know I'm getting that from you, that's why I'm hiring you. I don't, get, I don't give a shit that you don't like my idea. What I care about is your idea. Like, that's cool. That's why I like companies like Tesla, you know, who hire like they hire. And I like companies, you know, like, uh, like Apple who hire like they hire. I mean, it's just, you hire the person for what they bring, not for what you expect them to bring. Cause how could you know? How could you know? It's so cool. It's so cool that they do that. I love it. I, I highly recommend the book. There's so many good okay. anecdotes and um, it's not just told from Netflix's perspective. He gave free reign to the author, uh, Aaron, and she interviewed employees, ex-employees to hear about their experience and are they living up to their values? How do these things impact you? Um, like they have a, uh, a no vacation policy where wow. you take as much time as you want, right? Which could lead to a no vacation policy where no one just takes vacation, right? And so he makes it a point to tell his um, his managers and his big staff, go on vacations, make sure you take your vacations, make sure you talk about it, make sure you're asking how your employees' are, vacations are going and what they're doing. Make sure they're taking time for themselves. Um, and it's a way to make sure you don't abuse that power. And so they have just tons of these. And it's uh, really profound and encouraging. It's a it's a new way to go about your work um, and and to be challenged. If you're you know running your own company, there's more than one way to 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 you know go about it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, very cool. Super cool. Uh, what are we gonna cover today, man? 
Today, we are covering The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If you haven't seen it, please pause this episode and go watch it. I uh, believe it's streaming on HBO. Is that correct? And um, yeah, yeah, so you should be able to see it easily. For sure. We'll talk about a few things. We'll look at some of the cinematographer, their framing decisions, uh, some of their production design. Um, we'll also look at the story and writing, uh, the way they hide exposition in plain sight, and other such stuff and things and stuff. A quick synopsis of the film. Mere seconds before the Earth is to be demolished by an alien construction crew, Arthur Dent is swept off the planet by his friend Ford Prefect, a researcher penning a new edition of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, directed by Garth Jennings, screenplay by Douglas Adams and Carrie Kirkpatrick, based on the book by Douglas Adams, cinematography by Igor Jadu Lilo, sure, why not, starring Martin Freeman as Arthur Dent, Zoe Deschanel as Trillian, Sam Rockwell as Zafad Beeblebrox, uh, Yassine Bey Mosdev as Ford Prefect, and Stephen Fry as the narrator. Many millions of years ago, a race of hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings got so fed up with the constant bickering about the meaning of life that they commissioned two of their brightest and best to design and build a stupendous supercomputer to calculate the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Oh, Deep Falls, we want you to tell us the answer. The answer to what? The answer to life, the universe, everything. We'd really like an answer, something simple. Hmm, you have to think about that. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years. Is it finished? Oh, no, no, there's more. There's more. They go back. What, seven and a half million years later? That's right. They do. for you? Yes, but you're not going to like it. It doesn't matter. We must know it. All right. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is... Forty-two. Yes, yes, I thought it over quite thoroughly. It is, it's 42. It would have been simpler, of course, to have known what the actual question was. But it was the question. The ultimate question. Of everything. That's not a question. Only when you know the question will you know what the answer means. Give us the ultimate question, then. I can't. But there is one who can. A computer that will calculate the ultimate question. A computer of such infinite complexity that life itself will form part of its operational matrix. And you yourselves shall take on new, more primitive forms and go down into the computer to navigate its 10 million year program. I shall design this computer for you and it shall be called... So, how does it feel to be living in a, a 10 million year working computer? <laughs> for the time being until time we're being, yeah. eradicated for a, 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 a highway Gal yeah, galactic right. highway <laughs> yeah i love i love this movie i love how uh the lightheartedness of this like the serious aspects where it all matters but none of it does you know kind of feel hmm. it's fun you have no idea what's coming next if you haven't seen it before they give explanations for things but they're totally bar like crazy explanations but you sit there and think, well, why not? You know, they, they're able to do that. It's just really, really fun. Uh, I mean, there's there are moments where it just feels a, a little chaotic just for the sake of being chaotic. Mm -hmm. um, but even then, I really like it a lot. And there's there's so much uh, so much that is unique to it. The shovels when they're walking on the the <laughs> on the planet where they're trying to get the. Oh, they're trying to rescue a trillion. 
thank you, thank you. Trying to rescue Trillian. And the and the shovels that hit I laughed so hard. And so did Simon. Simon laughed like as soon as it happened, he just like burst out laughing. And then every time it happened, he burst out laughing again. Um, those kinds of little things were like were just so much fun. And the 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 helmet with the the lemons for uh Zephod, it was just so so cool. Why not? Right? Who cares? His brain is powered by lemons. Why not? Um uh, yeah, I thought it was uh, really fun. I thought it held up really well, too. It's so easy to kind of go in, in something like this to go down a not a religious path, but like a, a a path that's been been explained or known or suggested before, you know, whether that's religious or not, uh, just otherworldly. And they don't do that at all. They don't really give you any kind of idea that any religion is correct or that there is or is not a God even. It's more, it's more just about like, here's a random, because I feel like we learn something new every day, right? Scientifically, we just, or it feels that way. We're just constantly learning new things. And so we're pushing away what we under what we understand is to be true a little bit at a time. And if you were to, you know, 50 or a hundred years ago, you know, if we were to tell people what we know now, it would feel like this in a way. Right. It would feel like, wait a minute, what the the, the dolphins are the are the the main second most, the high, yeah. second most in the smartest story. Yes. And it just kind of feels like that. So maybe in 100 years or 200 years, we might feel the same, you know, about if somebody 200 years in the future were to tell us what they know, then it would feel kind of similar to this. So why not? Why not make dolphins the second most? Yeah. So. I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I don't think that it's something that I watch a, a, a ton. I've seen it probably. This is, I think, actually, I think this is the fourth time I've seen this movie, to be honest, just because it's been around for a while. And every now and then when I want, uh, if I, if I like see it, I'll think, oh my gosh, yeah, I want to, I want to see that. I forgot about all the things that happened. I'll go back and watch it and I'll remember as I'm remembering what happens and it, I'm like, you know, brought back to that, to that time of discovery right i always like seeing someone's view of the universe mm. and the more chaotic and crazy the better cuz we have so little idea about any of it that why not you know kind of thing. anyway what did you think of it yeah how many I times mean, have you seen this movie uh not that many actually I've, okay this is probably my third time watching it cuz i saw it in theater and that was after i'd read the book so i came across the idea of this book and you know 42 through a website a long time ago maybe even like 2002 2003 i ran across this website called planet 42 and they did a bunch of reviews of random things all over the place um but they had an entertainment section so a lot of like music and film reviews and i was looking up i think the latest jay-z album um and ran that's how i found their site and i commented on the the site disagreeing with uh someone in there and it turned into i guess a a, a debate internally with the the site runners um and so one of the, the the author of the art the the article who i agreed with reached out to me and said hey man i just want to confirm that you're a real person because i'm getting accused of having made another account um in order to <laughs> uh, put up this other opinion that agrees with me and i was like no no, no man like i you know love hip-hop blah 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 and so he's like, cool, uh, would you be interested in writing, you know, for us? And so I started writing for them. And at one point I was talking with the the site owner. And at this point in time, I think we were inside, we were just about to cross into like the top thousand websites on, on Alexa, um, which is a really big deal. So again, this is like early mid 2000s. Um, and that was a huge deal. And he was starting to make money. And so I was asking him like, why planet 42? What does that mean? Because it didn't make it. He's like, I'm not going to tell you why, but go read this book. And you know me, I'm like, challenge accepted. I'll read a freaking book to get one yeah. tiny answer. <laughs> um, and I did. I went and read, you know, Douglas Adams. And just to, I guess, finish that story. He ended up going on a uh, quitting his job. He was an engineer quitting his job and going on a round trip around the world. He spent a year going around the the, the planet, um, exploring every country. And he kept a blog and I read it, but the site ultimately failed because he wasn't, you know, running it anymore. And so it's I probably defunct. I doubt there's anything there now. But I read the book and of course, 
was just crazy about it. And when the movie came out, you know, I definitely saw it first in line and I enjoyed it. I think the books, and this is such a, I don't know, normal cliche Mm -hmm. thing. Of course the book is better. Um, There's certain jokes that work better on the page than they do on the screen. And that doesn't mean that the, the movie doesn't work. I think it does. You certainly have to be in the mood for silliness. I think silliness through a punchy phrase in text lands a lot stronger than it does. Um, and so you don't really have to be in the mood to read comedy. Um, I think it'll just come out. Whereas you kind of have to be in the mood to enjoy this kind of movie. Cause it's one big dad joke. Like it's a movie filled with dad <laughs> jokes <laughs> and, and that's great. Like it's fun. Um, and I enjoy it. And I think the last time I went to watch it, which, which wasn't that long ago, I think I watched it like within the past year, I felt a little let down. I was like, man, I just remember enjoying this more. Whereas I went to watch it uh, this morning, you know, and prep for the show. I went, went in expecting silliness and, and I enjoyed it. I really liked it. I had a really good time. And so it's very much a, you go in with the right mindset. You'll get a lot out of it. You can't go in with the expectation of whatever, uh, Silicon Valley or whatever, this kind of high, super high-minded humor. Um, there is some high-minded stuff going on in here for sure, but it's always, you know, delivered in this very kind of low wit, you know, punch. Uh, and it's, it's a good combination because we're traveling the galaxy and learning about the origins of humanity. And it's all for the sake of a, a really ridiculous punchline, right? Like we're, we're here to answer someone's really poorly phrased questions <laughs> uh, when they're trying to get the answer for, for life, the universe and everything. And the result is 42. It's like, well, you didn't answer. You didn't ask me the right question. Um, and so or we, a question at all, it's not even a question. So we made humanity. Um, our, our whole origins is on a farce basically. And uh, which, as you say, like it's as good a reason as any to, to come up with an origin story for us. And so I like it. I think one of the things that really excited me about it wasn't because I was so in love with the book, which has inspired so many things. The Babblefish um, has kind of become this catch-all thing of an idea of a universal translator. Uh, Deep Thought is now a real computer, right? And it really does artificial intelligence-minded you know, computations. Um, and this is just inspired so many people with some of the, some of its ideas, uh, which is why I say that it does have a lot of high minded concepts that are very old. Like I I can't remember when this book was written, maybe the seventies, it's, you know, very visionary in a lot of ways. And I love that, you know, it kind of amounts to a fart joke in, in, in that sense of, yeah, we're going to really explore the ideas of artificial beings um, and, you know, do it with a toot. <laughs> like it's what? <laughs> um, and so it works for me. I, I really enjoy it. Like it's fun. There's some really good punchlines that are visual, purely visual whenever they're about to get sucked out in space and they're watching the door as the countdown ensues. And then we're, we're waiting for the wall to open up to suck them out. You know, there's a trap door beneath them. And they just kind of fall through the floor. Um, that's a really fun, simple, easy visual punchline. And I have a lot of respect for that because it's a perfect buildup of all our focuses on one thing. And then they exit the screen in a completely different way. And it's just these little simple, uh, I don't know, jokes that, that work for me. Oh, but the thing that w- really excited me about this movie, <laughs> I didn't even say it, uh, was most deaf at the time. He was still going by most deaf instead of a uh, Yasin Bey. And he was a, a very serious hip hop artist, a lyricist. Um, and whenever I found out he was getting into acting, I think I, I want to say before this came out, he was in something the Lord made, which was an HBO movie, uh, which was, it's a fantastic film um, with Alan Rickman as well. So this is their second film together. And I saw him in this serious movie and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. It's most deaf. Like he's a serious dude. When I heard he was getting cast in, in this movie, I was like, I don't know what to think of this. I'm, I'm really excited because it means usually if you want to be taken seriously as an actor, you do dramatic roles. You do, Oh, I'm going to do this highly, um, dramatic thing. And I think for most deaf, he came at it from the perspective of, I want to be taken seriously as an actor. So I need to be doing something that's completely contrasting to my public image. 
of this serious, thoughtful uh, person. So I'm going to be a ridiculous, silly alien and uh, I'm going to play to that. And so it's just, it kind of spun my mind to think about there's an, another way to be go, to go about being taken seriously as an actor. And this came out before I was even acting. And I was just really inspired by that decision to say, I'm going to do something that's the complete opposite of good hip hop. I'm going to do a space farce um, with a guy with two heads and, you know, where mm -hmm. we travel across space through an improbability machine. It's just so such a really cool, inspired idea. Uh, and I just have so much respect for for him for doing that. Um, and that was what really pulled me into the film was just to watch Mos Def do his thing. And um, and I think he's a, a, an excellent actor. And I've watched a number of movies just to watch him, uh, like 16 Blocks and some other stuff. Um, anyway. Yeah, this really worked for me. Um, it works for me the more I go in expecting to to just be silly and have a silly time and to mm -hmm. see stop motion yarn characters vomiting yarn. Like, <laughs> so good. Uh, one thing that really annoyed me was the opening in, in, in a good way. Like it's the it opens on this big song, right? So long and thanks for all the fish. And it's so frustrating because it's so catchy and I've had it in my head ever since. Like, um, it just kind of keeps running through my head. I'm like, damn it. That's such a stupid song. And it's so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> were there any like moments or punchlines that really stuck for you? Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, no, I, I wouldn't say there were any specifically that I, no, not really. Mm. The, it, just the, the it's kind of like the sum of the parts is what it feels like for this where there's not one moment that's like stronger than another for me. It it's more of a, what the heck was that kind of thing? Where did that come from? Or where did that come from? I liked the 42. That was the, I guess the biggest thing for me, but um, even that, you know, it could have been anything. And that's, I guess the point, yeah. but the, if Simon said something interesting, I'm 42. So basically, I'm the meaning of life. Uh, <laughs> Dad is the meaning of life. Um, no, I really enjoyed the the at the end the the traveling through in the I guess the cart or whatever they're in where they're traveling past the new Earth that's being built and all the the other planets and and all of creation and they're just traveling through it and I just thought it was so beautiful. And it's such a great payoff for all the other, like the dirtiness and stuff from the, the, the rest of the film where everything is just kind of like, you know, the whole universe is in shambles. They're destroying worlds to make highways. They're in this like really dirty ship. And then, I mean, even in the clean ship, you know, you've got like this robot that's really sad and this guy who's got two heads and then they go to this terrible world and his, you know, they, where the, his, his small head gets stolen and it's like weird. It's just so weird. And then we get this beautiful journey for, you know, a good long while. I think it's like a good five minutes or so where we're just like traveling through this, this beautiful creation. So that stick stuck with me for sure. The whole mouse thing at the end was like, I don't know, it was, it was cool and interesting, but it was just kind of just a way to end it. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I would say 42 and then the traveling through the, through creation nice yeah for me. that is a really fun moment and it, it challenges a lot of your ideas about i don't know um not just origins and the possibilities of that but maybe adds to the idea that what you could create anything uh we'll we'll talk about it at the very end of the episode but um there's a lot of layers in this story actually right you have arthur dent uh when we open his house is about to be destroyed because human beings um, are being careless with his property and they want to create a bypass. And why do you need to create this bypass? Because you need bypasses. Like that's the, the answer is itself, you know, um, self-evident or supposed to be. Uh, and so maybe in that way, you know, life, the, the, the meaning and the answer to life is self-evident and laid bare on his face as well. The life is its own purpose and, and meaning. And, and so Ford Prefect shows up well, which I believe is the name of a car. Um, and that's the point of that, right? Is he's, <laughs> he doesn't know any better, uh, how humans work, but yeah. Ford of course shows up and he's aware that the earth is also going to be destroyed because of a highway and the highway is only being made because, uh, Zaphod 
Beeble Brocks thought someone wanted his autograph. And so love and kisses, uh, which is a pretty good punchline. So um, good. And, and it's, it, it is pointing to the absurdity of creation itself, um, the absurdity of life and existence and the idea that it could be gone in an instant. And we uh, touched on this a little bit last week. You know, a gamma ray explosion could come from an exploding star and we would never know it. We would just cease to exist. And and that's it. That's That's all the chips. And so the idea that they're exploring these inane, stupid ways to destroy the earth and stupid reasons to destroy the earth. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, and maybe in some ways, uh, with today's context, you could add on more meaning to that with how the how meaningless it is that we're destroying our planet um, and, and st- superficial, stupid ways as well, right? We're building more roads and destroying trees. And there's a lot of ideas you could, and I don't know if uh, that was Douglas Adams' purpose in writing the book. Uh, I don't think I've gotten that deep. Um, but I am glad he got to work on the screenplay before he died. He died in 2001, and this came out of, uh, several years later. Uh, so it sucks that he wasn't on set. I think there's an older version of this movie. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Early 80s. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're talking about the 2005 version, if you haven't caught on right. by now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if so, welcome welcome back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I, I love the idea that you know a lot of this came out of his mind, and I don't know where to parse that. What was his idea? What wasn't? I do wish there was a couple things that they had done a little bit better job at. Uh, in the book, they make it a bigger deal about the towels. Um, and mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like they really express that very well uh, in the film, uh, the importance of a towel. Um, and I certainly couldn't explain it. Um, it's just too silly for me to remember, you know. I mean, they, they say it like most Def's character says it. Yeah. But several times, like, you know, mm. two or three times, but there's not really a cost for not having it that yeah. I remember. Yeah, no, there's definitely no cost for it. Okay. Um, okay. But just the, the, the life and death importance of it uh, is, I think, stressed a little bit more in the book. And, and yet, I mean, there's still good payoffs, right? He starts chasing the Vogons around and they start yelling, oh, he's got a towel, run away. <laughs> um, stuff like that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Money you know, Python humor. Yeah. And this is certainly of that era. And yeah, I don't know. I'll touch on a few things um, and uh, see, see what pops out. Cinematography wise, lots of mediums and wides, right? Not a lot of dramatic angles. Um, They do a lot of center framing. Now that doesn't mean that everything is perfectly framed in the center, like a, like a Wes Anderson film, but instead they keep everything towards the center so that you, you don't have to, travel your eye around the screen a lot you're kind of just always in that same little box there in the center and that makes the the story a lot easier to follow the communication gets a lot clearer and you're not going to miss a lot of other stuff uh, it makes it a very friendly viewing experience so that you don't feel exhausted instead you're just kind of right there with the jokes with the characters the entire time um, it's this movie is not here to challenge you it's here to kind of bring you along and then sometimes the there are two shots even are staged very closely. Like there's a lot of shots with uh, Trojan and and Arthur together where uh, they're either shoulder to shoulder, literally touching shoulders, or there's at least one shot that I noticed when they're actually stacked on top of each other. And it's not awkward at all. You're just kind of watching. And of course it makes sense. They're, they're just standing by each other, but they're actually like her back is right on top of his chest. Like they are literally touching one after another stacked uh, just so that they can put their faces closer together in the middle of the frame so that they can get that much closer so that it's a two shot, but it's like a, a close up two shot. And they do this a lot throughout the film to just, again, make it an easier viewing experience and, and to keep you there uh, right there with them. And that's comedies in general kind of tend to this kind of easier viewing experience. That's why it's, you know, very well lit. It's a lot of bright lighting not usually very dramatic in their lighting, uh, which is good for comedy. It's very safe. And they do a lot in their production design, right? Uh, the, the, the clean areas are very clean, right? The bulbous, round, clean, white things, right? Marvin's head, even the missiles that are chasing them around had this huge ball in the middle. So that it doesn't look very dangerous. It's kind of friendly, even though it's there to kill them. Their spaceships are very round and bulbous. 
Um, and it's almost planet-like, like you have mm. this visual idea of a planet that's just kind of embedded throughout the story, as opposed to the Vogons, right? Their architecture is the complete opposite. It's hard, straight edge, dark, eroded, slimy kind of uh, texture. Uh, and that plays very well into um, the story and writing side of things where Vogons themselves are metaphors, of course, for bureaucrats, right? Kafka would love this story um, because it's all tied up into bureaucracy and mm-hmm. um, bad politics. Bring, we need to pursue them. Bring me the request to pursue fugitive form. Um, and let's get on that. Oh, I'm going to pursue them myself. Oh, lunch break, uh, back in an hour. (laughs) I think I'm going to have soup today. (laughs) Like it's just perfectly emblematic of, you know, bureaucrats being just tedious and not at all, uh, what you want out of people who are supposed to be serving the public interest. It's, it's all about, you know, bureaucracy, uh, Hermes Conrad, Futurama, right? Like I, I triple stamp this form. And of course the Vogons themselves come from a planet, Vogosphere, where thinking is punished. The swatting that you were talking about earlier, they're getting punished literally for having thoughts, mm-hmm. for having a philosophical idea. You get punished for that on their, on their planet. And they're just making a, both a joke at their experience and also, you know, creating a backstory for them. This is why they act the way they do. Um, they were taught to never think for themselves and to just kind of follow the rules and follow the orders. Don't step outside the boundaries. Uh, and I love that little flourish on their planet. It's such a brilliant little detail. One of the other things I really love uh, is the way they hide exposition in plain sight, right? The Hitchhiker's Guide itself is a big expositional gag. And there's a lot of ways to view gags. Uh, and we were talking about this before we hit record. Like gag itself on set can mean a number of things. Uh, if you are doing a horror movie and someone gets their head decapitated, that's called a gag. If you're on set, you're 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 calling that a gag. It's just a visual element uh, that you're trying to execute. Um, and so, if you are doing a, a joke gag, it's really no different terminology wise. Um, but you know, more stepping back a little more, uh, uh, less literal set talk. Uh, the guide itself is this big expositional punchline where we're going to tell you, we're going to get you up to speed. You know, here's what the 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 spaceship is, the improbability machine or whatever it's called. And they're going to tell you what it is and how it operates. And they're going to make a joke about engineers as the, the final flourish, like because they never get invited to those kinds of parties. Uh, and so they're just going to give you the exposition through a joke and it makes the medicine go down, so to speak. It's an easier way to kind of lay out. Here's the necessary bits of information. And if you do it with a, with a laugh, then it doesn't feel boring or tedious. Instead, it's really fun and you're learning and it's fun. Everyone wins. Um, but they all, I also really like the perspective gun because once again, hiding exposition in plain sight, we're literally going to tell you what someone is thinking through another character. Mm-hmm. So the character doesn't do their own exposition. Someone else does it for them. And again, it's through a punchline. Um, this is now funny. So it's, and, and it allows for some really fun story elements. And for me, the one real emotional moment in the film was this brilliant expositional and emotional moment where you're having Trillian's thoughts voiced by Zaphod. And so you're hearing Zaphod at a certain point, we cut away from uh, Zaphod and we're watching Trillian as we're hearing her thoughts voiced through someone else about you know, her planet being destroyed and that the only person um, that she can relate to, uh, she's alienated. I don't remember, but it's this great little, mm-hmm. we just hang on her and slowly start to push and push and push. And we never get super close, um, but that little sliding element, that that tracking in um, allows for some drama to be added to that because we don't have a lot of that throughout this movie. It's very either static or the camera swinging around wildly. Uh, but we don't have a lot of these perfectly locked off dolly shots. Um, and having that in that emotional moment with her performance, it's just all perfectly tied together. They explain what the perspective gun does. We see how it works uh, several times. And then we finally get to use all that knowledge that you've given the audience for an emotional delivery. Uh, it's a really well-executed little moment that I, I, I learned a lot from. 
then of course the Marvin gets shot in the head later, which is another like, holy crap, Marvin's gigantic head just got lambasted with a laser. Um, they, they finally managed to hit something. And of course it's right after he makes a joke about how they're such terrible shots, uh, which we were all thinking like, man, they're firing a lot and no one's getting hit. And so for him to voice that and then immediately get shot is a really good irony. But of course he, you know, wakes back up, grabs a perspective gun and his depression infects everyone. And I love it because the perspective gun now gets to save their lives. And it's by forcing bureaucrats to feel his pain. Like all these emotionless, tedious pieces of crap actually feel something now. And they're just completely incapacitated <laughs> through the experience. Um, it's it's pretty cool. One only last little thought is Arthur um, is the quote unquote, the straight, the, the straight man, right? He's the one person in this whole film that is, he's got no backbone. Of course, he's not adventurous. He's not very silly. He's reluctant. Um, and all those elements allow the comedy to play in contrast to him. Uh, Cause a lot of the time the joke is on him, whether it's his planet, his house, um, getting sucked into space, like uh, it's all through his confusion. And in that way, maybe he's also the advocate or the voice of the audience as we're trying to get understanding about the universe and life and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that's a good use of a straight man character. Uh, and I put that in quotes, straight man, um, even though this you, you could certainly make a good argument that this, this uh, movie is straight man humor. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he's kind of the, 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 the level-headed, confused bloke uh, that's traveling through this that we get to kind of empathize with in order to allow all these colorful, colorful characters to bounce around the walls and gives us something to uh, identify with, I guess. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. <laughs> Great insight. Um I, I also love how they destroyed the earth. Really interesting. You know, you know, you have these these Star Wars moments where, you know, you, the Star Wars version where you have the one big th ship that shoots a ray that explodes the, you know, the planet. In this case, it's a bunch of these little things that are surrounding the earth and all of a sudden it's just disintegrated. It's just an, another interesting way to do that that I hadn't seen before, you know, to to basically incinerate. Uh, an entire planet instantaneously with all these other little things and how they introduce what it is is pretty cool too where they start at his thumb and they just slowly start cutting back 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 and you even see a plane flying i think next to one of the the pillars uh as as and i and i just started thinking like oh my gosh to be in that plane when that happens i wonder if that plane also got destroyed and if not then what happens to the plane <laughs> you know it probably was destroyed but and i wonder through that like that sequence that you're talking about that big pull out reveal uh -huh. um i feel like there that would be a great cheap way to execute that visually uh, instead of having to render like 500 visual effects frames uh, instead you you get to render like photoshop photorealistic stills one after another and you just only need to get this one still perfectly instead of make this perfect transition and get all the lighting shifts exactly right. Much easier to execute uh, by, by that kind of punchy still frame pullout. I thought that was a brilliant little uh, flourish for sure. Agreed. But yeah, I loved, I loved that, how they introduced that and it, and um, it's really cool. And then, you know, I, I think the next thing that happens is that the, the title sequence, you know, where they, uh, they show the book, it opens up and it kind of explains a little bit more. I loved the narration throughout this whole thing. And one of the things that I also loved that I, that we don't really have, that's what I was going to say. I feel like in movies now, everything is too clean. Like, do you feel this way when you watch movies and you think, okay, why, you know, they'll, they'll either, they'll either remake an idea or something or, or just in general, everything is 4K, 8K, 48K, whatever, all the Ks. And it's so clean. It's almost too clean. And I watch this and it has to have been shot on film. I mean, it has oh, yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Have been. Yeah. It's so grainy and and raw uh, it, that it just has to. But I, it has this like human breathing element about it that 
that I love that I miss in so many films now. So many films are so polished and so, so clean. Like when I look at something and I'm using my eyes, rarely do I see anything like super crisp and clear. It's not because I have bad vision. It's because I can really only focus on your face right now and everything else is blurry, right? But even your face, right? I can't just focus on your face. My eyes are constantly moving. They're moving to your nose, to your eyes, to your beard, to the the microphone, to the things that are around. So I'm I'm never really focused on anything. Hmm. So all of this, all of these, like, so watching a movie like this where it's really grainy and some things are out of focus when they should be in focus at times, it actually feels more real. You know, it feels more like an experience that I, not that I would have necessarily, but that, that I could possibly see having, right? Because it's, it just feels more real. And, and I miss that in movies now. And I love digital. Don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on digital Mm -hmm. at all. But I just really, I really like this. I really like that feel of it being dirty or even in the beautiful parts. Because even beauty in real life has some dirty element to it. It just, or has some kind of like, like it's never perfect. Nothing is ever perfect. And so um, I really enjoyed that. This, I think if they had, if they were going to remake this movie again, right now, it would be bad no matter what. Even if they, even if the performances were better, the writing was better, I would probably not like it as much if it was like 8K or what, you know, IMAX perfect, perfect, you know, it would need to be on film. I don't know. Just an observation that I had that I wanted to say. It's, it, I think for some reason, watching this, I felt that more than most other films. I, I'm not sure why. Couldn't agree more. I mean, it does irritate me, actually, like all these very crisp, perfect images and sometimes uh, I'm, I'm watching a show even and you can see like really bad makeup and yes, because it, it's so clear. Good it's point. so clear and it drives me nuts. And I'm just like, these actors have on this caked orange makeup on their face and they don't look like human beings. They look like actors on a stage and it's not supposed to, this is supposed to be a drama and it just irritates me to no end. But even the films, you know, that, that don't do that. It, it feels, yeah, it feels fake. Uh, I, I, there is a separation that it creates between me and the the film, because yeah, you know, I think you're you you said it really well. Like, vision isn't this perfect thing. It's not a perfect clarity of the entire thing. Um, and there's reasons to do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have very deep uh, depth of field shots um, or anything like that. But there is something to be said for finding a happy medium of how can we create some human elements in order to keep you grounded, keep you pulled in. And if there is a time to do it, I guess comedies are a good reason to, to have these deeper pulls of focus, but I don't know. Um, I agree. There is something about AK and you're just kind of going overboard at a certain point and it's just technology for itself. Cause to some degree I can only resolve so much at certain distances unless you're creating. Yeah. VR content, uh, you don't really need 8K stuff, right? You know, uh, 10 feet away, 20 feet away, it's, it's, it, you, you're not going to notice the difference at a certain point. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, it just starts to become a weird arms race. And to me, it comes across, uh, comes across a little bit masturbatory. It's just, you're doing it for your own pleasure at a certain point. And yeah, so I agree with everything you said, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. And then the 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 practicals that they do, the practical effects that they do. Um, what are the? I always I'm terrible with names. The the, the bad guys. Oh, the Vogons. Yeah, the Vogons. So good. You know, like it it harkens back to the uh, uh, the first Star Wars, right? Where they just they built everything, you know, and it was it was a real it just feel felt like humans it were humans were creating this rather than computers and obviously there's a ton of special effects and on um, you know i have no problem with special effects mm-hmm. at all uh but anytime you can build something it's always better that you can create something for real and then film it it's always better and i think that any any filmmaker knows that i mean when we had our our uh blade runner blade runner uh 2042 episode think they, they spoke to the same thing it's like yes let's try to build all of this for real and film that like that's and i love that they did that 
as much as possible in, in this film and didn't try to like CGI their way out of things. It's so cool. Vogons were amazing. Yeah, completely yeah. agree. Uh, and I feel like if no, if no one else, I'm willing to bet that was something Douglas Adams would have insisted on, you know, let's, if it's going to be funny, it has to be real. Um, and no better time to make a real crazy looking, you know, pig nosed monster thing, um, then, then making it real, make it a real tangible thing where it's lips move funny and, you know, and it's reciting bad poetry. Like you want that to be tangible. Uh, cause if it's not the, the humor gets lost through that trans. <laughs> Ooh, that was a good one. Translation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Good yeah. point, man. Anyway. Nice. So what are you going to recommend this week? Oh, okay. So I'm going to go completely off setter. Uh, a film that I, um, on my birthday, I wanted to go see a movie. And uh, so, uh, because that's what I want to do on my birthday. And so I took the kids to see Sing 2. And I know this is like totally off, has nothing to do with Hitchhiker's Guide, obviously. But it's so good. It is so good. I absolutely recommend it. I loved it. The first one is like, okay, you know, it's whatever. This one, though took it to a whole nother level. It's so, so good. I'm not even going to tell you why, but I just loved it. And I've talked to, to a couple of people since then who have actually brought it up to me. Like, hey, have you seen Sing 2 yet? I said, yeah, I did. It's so good, right? They're like, it was amazingly good, like surprisingly, you know, because yeah, I'm 42. I'm not going to go see, you know, like a bunch of animated movies in the theater unless I have kids. And so brought my kids and Jenny went Simon's a couple of his friends came and really really fun and good and it I think the message about it is really awesome which is your you know your path is not always going to be easy Hmm. in fact that's as Kobe said once that you know that is the dream the waking up early with you know no one believing in you doing it anyway you know, fighting through adversity, that's the dream, not the destination. And and this is just a great example of that. Mr. Moon in this in this movie is fantastic. It just, nothing is diverting him. It's just really, really good. I recommend it highly. Other than the title, I know nothing about that movie. And so Mr. Moon. You, never, you haven't seen the first one? No, like saying okay. Mr. Moon is the perfect, it was just like hilarious to me. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> nice i'll check that out all right yeah yeah i mean i don't think you have to watch the first one to enjoy the second one but it does it is a little bit more endearing if you watch the first one first so Mm. just so you know nicely done yeah i know i I was on the fence because i wanted to recommend archive 81 okay to to support my guys but after getting through the middle of the episode i want to recommend something the lord made like if you want to watch alan rickman and most deaf melt your face off uh, in a very simple little drama set in the 40s i think you'll really enjoy it i it's it's a beautiful movie um and i really couldn't recommend it enough it's about doctors who are trying to figure out how to save babies and most deaf being a, a black man in the 40s uh has a lot to fight and overcome in order to be taken seriously as a doctor and so there's a lot of really good performances good messaging um and, and it's very thoughtful so Highly recommend that. Check that out. I'll have both trailers in the show notes and stay tuned for next week. We're going to take a look at Get Out. I hear that's a movie that the kids love. And so <laughs> all, all the kids are all watching the kids nowadays. Are, and so we'll, we'll take a look at that guy um, and, and see what's going on with that. I, I hear it's about something. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, review us on iTunes, leave us a note. If you'd like us to cover a film or, you know, hear Todd's kids, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do it all. Yeah. Is he yeah, making a request no, right now? <laughs> you know, is what it is. What are you going to do? What you're going to do. If you want to leave a note on this episode, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. And our quote of the day is from Robert Burns. And this is paraphrased. Oh, would some power give us the gift? To see ourselves as others see us. Did I read that wrong? No, that's perfect. Okay. And so Robert Burns is an old Scottish poet. And he's quoted in the movie because there's this uh, little phrase, the best laid plans of mice and men. Oh, yes. 
and that's from a, his poem his poem and that poem is about uh, a, a mouse who builds a nest and then this man is trying to plow his field comes through and destroys his home and so he writes this poem as an apology to the mouse and he feels horrible about it um and so of course the movie quoting that is no you know coincidence i'm sure uh because this whole movie is about people who plow through someone's house someone's planet um and the consequences thereof um i don't think he gets quite as good of an apology because ultimately the mice in this case right which is why he made the mice uh the our big carriers it's reflective of the poem and the the mice at the end uh go to take his brain <laughs> um not a very good apology, but of course we do a lot of uh, rough things to mice to say the least. Um, and we, I, I don't think we do a, a very good a job of apologizing to them. So maybe it's well earned. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the one to advocate for any of that, but I just thought it was a really interesting choice to, to, yeah. you know, I feel like maybe be inspired by the poem in order to write and create this whole world um, or to kind of discover that at some point, but Robert Burns is to Scotland as Shakespeare is to England. Like, uh, very important from what I understand. And I understand shockingly little. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was pretty cool. And so whenever I was looking up quotes uh, from Robert Burns, I came across that one. I thought that was perfect because it's also describing the perspective gun, right? It's uh, totally. the, the power to make someone else see from... Um, from your perspective, which is illuminating your, you of, of yourself. I thought that was yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, I have a few feelings about, about it. One being, I mean, one being, you know, it's very easy. It's, it's very, e even though we know we're not the center of the universe, it's very easy to not forget that, but just to imagine that that is actually the case, right? It's very, because you only have your world to experience. I can't experience the world through, through you. Um, I can only experience it through myself. So I am the center of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. It's very easy to, for, to forget that we're probably not, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, and then to also be okay with that. Um, but then on the, on the flip side of that, there's, there's this, this aspect of when I'm, trying to, when I'm trying to get out of that and I'm trying to see your side of, of the universe, the, we cannot help but have an egocentric point of view right to have this kind of uh yeah i guess ego is 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 the thing is the word it's like i'm going to see your point of view but i can't get rid of mine uh, you know mine is always going to be there and so we're con we're at this constant war of of i need to be able to put it aside you know to see some either someone else's or something else's point of view the mouse you know the dolphin right the uh, probable probable other alien world with intelligent life on it somewhere else the the god aspect but all of that is surrounded is surrounding my ego and it's very hard to for us as human beings and i don't think that we've really learned this to let go of that to be able to take in the idea that my ego is nothing my ego is this this thing that i have i'm holding on to because it's all i've got Right. And if I let go of it, then I am just this speck of nothingness in the, in the universe. This is a great way of saying that in a way of like, you have to let go of that in order to see that. But in order to see that, you have to be okay with being very little, with being, with your plans being very little and the world and the universe as a whole not giving a shit about what your plans are, you know, and that your plans might be wrong, you know, that maybe. Maybe your plans that you have are incorrect and can't, but can be altered and changed to the cor whatever the correct one is, if there is a correct one, right? And there's probably not a correct one. There's just a different one. And that's, I mean, look, I'm saying this. And at the same time, I have my plans. I have my goals. I have you know, things I want to do and where I want to go and where I want to be. But it's, 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 um, it, they might be not good for me or not good for people around me and uh you know they might change uh if i kind of like let go of this ego so I, anyway that's it's 
It's a quote that really speaks to me because I've been trying to work on that myself. And I, I know that you constantly work on that. I mean, I can tell we, we don't have, we haven't really talked about that, you know, outside of this podcast, but I can, I can, I've been able, I think that's one of the reasons I identify with you and why we're friends because I see that, that kind of thing in you. And when I see that kind of thing in, in other people, I really gravitate towards that because it makes me want, it's, it's a similar journey I'm on and it makes me want to be a better person too and be more open and inclusive and, and kind of like chill out about what I think is the best way forward. Like chill out, you know, I don't really know. Right. I'm just doing, I'm just, I have said it before. I'm just, I just do shit. Right. I just do shit. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I just, you know, uh, so anyway, this is a, a great quote. Very, very fun. I could talk about that in a whole episode. I feel like. Yeah. So if there was like an inverted perspective gun, um, where you would see what others see when they look at you, would you want that? Would you want to see what others see? I would. Oh, I, I think I would. I'm not saying that it would change me. It might, mm. but it would, it would definitely open my eyes to some things that I'm probably not seeing because I have a, I have this little, I'm like any other person. I have this little tiny view of what I am and who I am, but really I can only tell you what I think that I am in my head. I can't tell you what I think everybody else thinks that I am. I have no idea. I have no idea. But it would be interesting piece of knowledge to know what all of the people around me really think of me. Wow. You know, oh, because I think, you know, to me, I think I'm, I'm driven, I'm focused, but I'm also kind of like wishy-washy. I'm, uh, you know, but what do other people think? Do other people think think oh he doesn't know what he you know he doesn't know uh what he wants to do or where he wants to go or be or do they think the same thing that i do no idea i, I would like to know I, I really would just because i don't really necessarily know the the, the things i'm putting out there if that make if that wow. makes sense i know what i i hope i'm putting out into the world yeah but i don't really know yeah so anyway what about you wow. that's a good question uh god no fuck that <laughs> 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 okay all right that's uh, fair and in the story uh, play story. us off todd <laughs> okay <laughs> oh man now i want to do an episode on that okay we're gonna circle back to that at some point right. in the next in the next 50 episodes we're gonna circle back to that i'm gonna look for those moments in the next few films oh this is a lot of fun thank you guys so much for joining us uh thank you wes for those insights really really informative i, I loved it make sure to join us next week when we cover get out uh so watch that before jumping in uh and like wes said please like and subscribe it all helps us share us with your friends review us on itunes wherever you get your podcast it all matters and if there's a film that you'd like us like to hear us talk about and break down we'd love to hear from you so just let us know um until then i am todd i am wes Go watch the movies.